Has any of you ever won anything? You ever won a prize? What, 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 what's, think for a minute. What's the best prize you've ever won? Don't say your husband or your wife, all right? Like that, none of that sickliness here this morning, right? I'm talking like genuine, you know, like a real prize. Unless, of course, you did win them, you know, on the lottery or something. I don't know. But, all right, yeah, best not to say, okay? Well, what's the best prize? Oh, so you, ha hang on a minute, you won tickets to Legoland, but you went to Greece instead. Let, let's not go any further, that, that sounds complex, I don't quite how to, not Greece in Legoland, you, like the real Greece. Yeah, miles away, okay, that's, that's pretty cool. Anybody else won anything? You won the lottery. Oh, 76 pounds, not the, not the big prize in the lottery. That's enough to keep you buying a ticket for another week or two. It, well, that's the problem, isn't it? You end up spending way more than 76 pounds. But, the, you know, you've got to be in it to win it, as they say. Anybody else? Man, we're, we're not very fortunate. Brian. Oh, tickets to Disney Paris. When are we going? Sorry? Five years ago. Oh. Today I want to look at rewards. As we were reading the Sermon on the Mount, the blessings, right at the end of those eight blessings that we looked at, all right, it says this, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Well, we looked at that from the last blessing, blessing uh, are those when you know people are against you, they uh, persecute you. But it says this, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And as I read that, it got me thinking in the scriptures about rewards. Because a number of times in the Bible it talks about rewards that we can have. Blessed are you, happy are you when people insult you because it's, it's, they know that you, you know then you're a, a child of God. But great is your reward. And this morning I want to think with you for a few moments about these rewards. How? How do I get a reward in heaven? What is the reward anyway? How do I get a reward from God? Now the reward is not, you know, a week in Disneyland or Legoland or Greece. The reward is something else. But let's look at it together. Firstly, the Bible says, Revelation 22.12, it says this, Look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me. I will give to each person according to what they have done. The reward, firstly, comes from God. It is his reward. He's going to bring it with him. Revelation 22 is right at the end of the Bible, yeah? So this is after, you know, the, the judgment, everything else. When Christ returns, he says, my reward is with me. 
They're going to be given by God. So he is the one that gives the reward. It's up to him. He chooses. It's like on the X Factor, right? Or, or those quiz shows. You've all seen them, haven't you? Like, it doesn't matter whether you or me think the person is any good or not any good. Britain's got talent and all that lot, right? Some people you think, man, they're rubbish. And then the judges go, oh, that was brilliant. And you're thinking, what? That's, that's rubbish. They were, you know. And they obviously see something. But it doesn't matter what you and me think. Because we're not the judges. We're not the ones that can send them through. And conversely, sometimes we go, oh, man. You know, that singer was so good. And then they go, nah. Nah, you know, you, you, you really haven't got the stage presence. You're not going to go anywhere. You're rubbish. And they go off crying, don't they? And Because their, their dreams of stardom have been... God is the one that gives the rewards. So he is the one that sets the criteria. He is the one that decides whether you're going to get them or not going to get them, right? It's not for you and me to make that decision. He says, my reward is with me. And what does he say? I will give to each person according to what they have done. So the reward is going to be given to you and to me based on what? What you've done. So think about your life. Think about what you've done, what you've not done. Because that is the criteria about which God is going to give his rewards or withhold his rewards. Now, wait a minute. Where, where does faith come into this? This kind of implies surely that if we do the right things, we're going to get the right rewards. And if we don't do the right things, we won't get the right rewards. This is like God being my parent when I was growing up. If I did the right things, I would get fed and I wouldn't get into trouble. If I did the wrong things, you know the rest of that story. Because you've been there. Things are withheld. Things are taken away. You're, you're grounded for 150 years until you, you know, until you sneak out the upstairs window and sneak back before they realize. It never happened in case my parents are listening to this later. And all these things. But this implies that what we do matters. But where does grace then fit in with this? Well, grace comes here. In Matthew 5.3, we looked at it before. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We said if you don't have that poverty, that emptiness, that, that understanding that we have nothing that we can offer God, then, then God has no part with us. And Ephesians 2.8 and 9 said it's by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works. So that no one can boast. So here in Ephesians it's saying that grace is vital. That, that faith is vital and works don't really matter. But what we've just been looking at is saying that works do matter. Because reward is given on your work. So how does that all fit together? How does it work? Well the Bible 
is quite clear. That we are saved by grace. But we will be judged and rewarded, or not rewarded, by what we do. Do you understand the difference? So, we're saved by grace. That means that, as we've said, that I can only come to God out of that poverty of spirit, that there is nothing that God needs of me, wants of me, that I can offer God to buy my way into a relationship back with God. God says, I don't need you, David. I love you, but I don't need you. But he says, you know what? Because I love you, I'm going to make a way for a relationship. But the start of that relationship is me coming to God and saying, God, I know I can't buy this relationship. I know there's nothing I can offer. I can't be good enough. I can't be great enough. I, I can't do anything to earn this relationship. But you're offering it to me anyway. All I need to do is accept it. That's grace. Do you understand? No. Do you understand? Kind of. So it's like saying to God, you know what? God says, while you were still far off, I came and I sought you. We've been thrown out of the garden because we don't belong with God. But then God came and he found us. And he drew us back and he said, David, let me show you the way. I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He says, I'm going to show you the way back into a relationship with God. And if we accept what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross, if we accept what he has done for us, what he has given to us, that he's given us the way back into a relationship with God, not that we deserve it, but that he's given it anyway. He's offered it to you and me. All we have to do is accept that for ourselves. That's what grace is all about. You can't earn it, which is great because that means you can't lose it either. It's a free gift. It's like God reaching into his pocket and saying, here is my gift. Now take it. You can either reject it and say, I don't want it. Thanks very much. Or you take the free gift. But it's free. You've done nothing to deserve it. But it's yours because he loves you. That's grace. And grace gives us access into the heavenly realms. Grace gives us salvation. Grace means that if we desire a relationship with Jesus Christ, then that relationship is not just for here on earth, but it's eternal in heaven. But he says, when I stand before God, when each one of us stand before God, in judgment, we're not judged on our relationship with him. We are judged on what we do. You are saved by grace, but you will be judged. I will be judged by what I do or what I don't do. So your eternal security, whether you end up in heaven for all eternity, is based on what? On grace. But the rewards that we will receive are based on what? What we do. 
You see the difference? I'm trying to think of an example of this. My children are my children because I was involved in making them. I know my wife was there too, right? But they are my children, whether they like it or not. I am their father. There was a time in their life where they wished I wasn't, and I had to park around the corner and let them out the door so that they could walk around the corner to their friends because that's what fathers do when they're so embarrassing to their children. But they were still, right? I was still their father. I will always be their father. The relationship is eternal. But you reward them. Remember when they were smaller, we would reward them on what they did. We would have a whole list of, did you have that big chart out there, chores for the week? You know, and when we were trying to teach them good behavior, we had stars that we would give them when they were really younger, right? You know what I'm talking about, don't you? And, and if they got a certain number of stars, they got some rewards. It's the same. It's the same with God, that he's going to look at what you do, what I do, and that is how he is going to reward us. So my salvation is not in question, because that was won by Jesus on the cross. But what is in question is the rewards that I might or might not receive. So when you stand before God, he's not going to ask you, do you know me? He knows whether you know him or not. He's going to show you your life, and based on your response to that love, he will reward you. Let's look a little bit deeper at this. Are you with me so far? Okay. How does this work? Look at this in 2 Corinthians 5. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in body, whether good or bad. You understand? So judgment, you don't have to fear judgment, right? The judgment seat of Christ is not about your eternal salvation. He's not going to weigh up and say, are you in or are you out? Because he looks at you and says, do you know Jesus or do you not know Jesus? Do you love God or do you not love God? If you love God, eternity with God. If you don't love God, and you choose not to love him, then eternity without him. Because we have free will. And God says, as much as it breaks God's heart, he would love everybody to be in relationship with him. And that's what he works towards. But if you decide, if anyone decides they do not want that, then God says, okay, I love you enough to give you freedom. But judgment will be about what we have done. We will receive what is due us for the things done while in body, whether good or bad. So it says in the Bible that he's going to show you the whole of your life. Isn't that frightening? And show you everything you've done. But it goes deeper than that. Let's go to the next level. Whoops. Because he doesn't just show you what you do. He examines the quality of what you do. How many of you have got 
like a, a tool or something at home that is really old but still does the job. You got things like that? You know? You, you keep it because, I'm not talking about your husband, all right? I'm talking about, you know, uh, anyway. Okay, it still does the job. You know what I'm talking about. Like today, you can't, it's very hard to buy something today of real genuine quality like it used to be, isn't it? My grandfather, I remember, he used to, he used to have the same washing machine that, like he'd had it for years and years and years. It was one of those top loaders with the, with the wooden tong things that you put them in. He used to wash fine. He used to have to, it didn't have a dry spin cycle in it or anything. But it, it used to, and he used to, Monday was always washing day for him, and he used to get his washing machine out, and it lasted him years, never broke down. You know, he died before the washing machine died. Why? Because it was quality. Today, they build things that are really useful, but they have no quality. They're deliberately designed to, to die within, so that you have to buy a new one and spend more money. But in the, in the old days, in the good old days, they used to build things that would outlast you, right? And, and they were things you could fix yourself as well. They were the best. You know, the, your car broke down, you would just, you know, take off your trouser leg and wrap it into a piece of string and fix it, you know, do something with it, and it would keep going. 1 Corinthians 3, but by the grace God has given me, I laid the foundation as a wise builder, wise builder, and someone else is building on it, but each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day, that's judgment day, will bring Bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will do what? Test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it's burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Why? Because you're saved through grace, not by what you do. But what God will do is not just look at your works, he will test the quality of your work to see whether your work is both useful and durable. Whether it's useful, whether it's doing what you should have been doing, but also whether it has a lasting effect. God will test both. So you need to ask yourselves, is what I am doing going to have that kind of results? Is what I am doing going to have a kind of lasting results? Or is it just on the surface? And it's not always easy to say, tell the difference because they look similar, don't they? You can buy two things that look almost identical. One will last and one will not. Generally, the price is the way that gives it away these days, but not always. The more you pay for something, really what you're paying for is durability, lastingness. You buy something cheap, 
you just think, well, it was only a fiver, so I'm not surprised it broke down next week. You spend 50 quid on the same item, you expect it to last 10 times longer, if not more. And God looks at the same in you and me. He's saying, it's not just what you're doing, but how will what you do last? How will it benefit other people? How will it benefit the next generation? We talk about leaving a legacy, don't we, these days? How will what you've been investing in what you're doing, how you're working for God, how will that impact other people around you? I think of teachers. I know a few teachers that, that, that were teaching in this area, some in the church still. And then they taught the sons or the daughters of the children that they taught before. Then you know you've been teaching for quite a while. And then it carries on, you know, and, and their children then come and say, hey, that was my teacher. And they remember because, because what they've planted into people's lives is still there. The relationship they had, the enthusiasm that they gave. You can all remember the good teachers, can't you? There were some teachers that really impacted you and me in school. And you remember them. You remember them. You, you might not remember the lessons, but you remember the person. Because of their attitude towards you and me. And they were the ones that had the greatest impact within us. Some people fall in love with particular subjects, not because of the subject, but because of the person that teaches it. And you also remember some subjects, I remember some subjects I used to love, and then the teacher just completely turned me off the whole subject. Because of who they were. And they didn't feel as though they had any connection with me and it didn't feel to me as though they really loved that subject in the way I did and and gradually my my enthusiasm for it dried up God is saying you know what I want to test the quality how are you doing this how's it going to last you're rewarded for your actions God will examine the quality, but he also, the next level, examines your motivation as well. So he doesn't just examine what you do. He's not just going to examine the, the durability, the quality of what you do. But he's going to examine your motivation behind it. Oops. Jeremiah 17 verse 10 says, I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to do what? To reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. He looks in at your heart and he looks in at your mind. He sees the motivation by which you are doing this. Now you all know, I know, that there are things that you do where you're completely unmotivated. My tax return. I have zero motivation for doing it. Motivation. What is that? Motivation for doing it. I, I was so unmotivated this year that I missed the deadline. Bad news, right? Ministers have to, they, they can only do the written one, so the deadline's in front of everyone else. So I even had to go online and hire a company to go and do, you know, do the tax return and pay extra money for my tax return this year. Because I was so unmotivated 
to do it. And every year, it's the last possible weekend in October or whenever it is that I hand it in because I really hate it doing them. And I have to do it every year. The Lord looks into your heart and mind. There are jobs that you do. You can do any job with a different level of motivation. You know that. I know that. Not just your tax return. You can minister for Jesus with a different level of motivation. You see, when, when you're welcoming people to church, when you're doing the sound desk, when you're doing teas and coffees, when you're taking someone for coffee, when you're serving communion, when you're preaching, whatever you're doing, God is looking not at what you're just doing, but he's looking at the motivation behind it. He's looking into my heart. He's looking into my mind today and saying, David, are you doing this with the right heart? Are you doing this in the right spirit? What is the mo are you doing it because you have to, because it's your job? Or are you doing it with that openness to want to glorify him? How are you doing what you're doing? He'll look at every single thing that you have ever done. And he doesn't just look at the, what you did or even the durability and the quality of what you've done. He looks at every single moment of your heart and your mind in what you've done and said, I'm going to see your motivation in that. Were you doing it because you had to? Or were you doing it because you wanted to? Were you doing it because you wanted to honor him? Or were you doing it for other reasons? God will test your motivation, your heart and your mind. He will also test your faith. As I said, are you doing it because you want to give him the honor and the glory? Or are you doing it because... Because it gives you a position, because it gives you authority, because it gives you a, a place, because maybe just because you're on the rotor and you have to do it. Why are you doing it? What is going on inside of you in your heart and in your mind when you do the things that God is asking you to do? When you go to work tomorrow morning, what is your attitude? What is your motivation? God has given you work. He has placed you there. As a parent, what is your motivation for what you do in your home? As a husband or a wife, what is your motivation? As a son or a daughter of God, what is your motivation? In everything, he will look into your heart and into your mind. And he will look at your faith and say, are you doing this to honor and glorify Jesus Christ? Or are you doing it for another reason? What is the motivation? And God will examine that. Hebrews 11 verse 6, it says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. A lot of people do a lot of good things. But it's not going to help them. When they stand before God. They're great things that they do. 
And some people I've heard in the church say, hey, they, they've got to be a, a Christian because look at what they're doing. It's got nothing to do with what they're doing. Whether they're a believer or not has to do with their grace and whether they've accepted it. Because without grace, you can't please God. You can do great things in the world's sense. But God says, you know what? Without that relationship first, how are you going to please him? You can't please God without that relationship. So the relationship, your faith, and your motivation through faith is critical. God tests your motivation with your heart and mind, your faith, and also your focus. As we've been saying, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance, a reward, from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. How many of you get up on Monday morning and go, praise God, it's Monday? Two of us. You know, I used to do that even more because Monday used to be my day off. Thank you, Jesus. You know? But actually, we should be going, praise God, it's Monday. Why? Because I've got an opportunity to work even more for Jesus Christ. I'm going to work. I'm going to earn money, and I'm going to serve wherever I'm working. But actually, I'm not working for them. I'm working for Christ. In everything I'm doing, I'm working for Christ. Whether it's accountancy work and figures and or whether it's teaching, or whether it, whatever you're doing, who are you doing it for? Are you doing it to honor and glorify Jesus Christ? Is that where your focus is? Or are you doing it just because I have to do it, because I need, I need food on the table? God will look into your motivation and say, hey, I placed you there. Do it for me. Whatever it is might be the most mundane thing do it for me and you have that choice every time I've had some weird jobs in my life really weird I laid an ice rink once bet no one's ever done that back-breaking work spent the whole day eight hours bending over like this laying ice rink Sorting out all the. I've done all sorts of different jobs, and the question is who was I doing it for? Was I doing it for Jesus Christ, or was I doing it for me, or for someone else? Or if you're at university, at school, are you working for Jesus Christ? Are you doing the best that you can do for Him? Or are you doing it just for yourself? God will look at your focus. And he rewards you depending on whether your focus is in the right place or not. And so we need to ask God because it's not always easy to know. Psalm 139 at the end it says, search me God and know my heart. Test me 
and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. We need to ask God first, to, Lord, show me. Show me whether my focus is right and true. Jeremiah, it says, the heart is deceitful above all things. And so it's not always easy to, to tell. So the first thing we do is we ask God. Ask God to show you where your motivation is. Am I really working for you? You know, it's easy for me to say yes to that. But that might not always be true. Hey, Lord, you know I'm working for you because I'm a pastor of a church. What else could I be doing? I mean, I'm not doing it for the money, obviously. Right? But actually, he says, are you really working for me? Look in your heart. You're doing it for other reasons. Sometimes we do it for our own self-esteem. Sometimes we do it for, you know, a whole raft of other reasons. Ask God, Lord, show me the real reason. Show me my heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Show me. Ask God to show you. Search me, God. Know my heart. Know my mind. Show me my motivation. Ask other believers as well. People you really trust. Say to them, what do you see in me? Well, what is it you really see? Do you see someone? Well, don't, don't even say that. Just ask them what they see. Ask your partner. Yeah. Ask them. <laughs> there you go. He hasn't got one. But ask, ask a close friend, ask someone you trust, okay? If that's your partner, ask your partner. Ask someone that you trust, maybe ask two or three people you trust. Say, what do you really see in me? Do you, do you see me working for God? Are my motives pure? Or, or do you see something else? Just be honest with me, because I want to know. I want to know. And then ask yourself too. Be hard on yourself sometimes, not all the time. Sometimes we are too hard on ourselves. But it's good to say, really, what, what is going on inside of me? Have that time of just reflection, meditation. Just think, what really is my motivation here? Why am I doing this? And as you ask God and you ask others and you ask yourself, you'll become more self-aware and you'll begin to see your motivation. You know, one of the hardest courses I ever did when I was training for ministry was counseling. Because before you counsel anyone else, you counsel yourself. And the course, the first course we took was horrible and brilliant at the same time. Because I, for the first time, I saw myself for who I really am. And that was both frightening, because I didn't like it. But it was freeing at the same time. Because I started to see my motivation. I started to see why I did certain things. I started to see why I behaved in certain ways. And it was horrible to see it, but it was also refreshing. Because it then enabled change to begin. See your motivation. 
Because God will reward you, not just on what you do, not just on its durability, but your motivation too. You're rewarded for your actions, the quality, your motivation. You ready for the next one? Rewards don't come easy. It's not just we kind of travel through life and get to the end and say, okay, God, now reward me. Thanks very much. And like soldiers, you get a whole line of medals, you know. Rewards cost. Galatians 6, 7 to 10 says this, do not be deceived, God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary of doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Reward will cost you. It costs. You need perseverance to keep going. Let me go back. It's not easy. It's not easy because there will be obstacles and difficulties and challenges. And when those obstacles come, and it comes that moment for perseverance, a number of things happen within us. First, we want to give up and find an easier way. God says, just do these things, you're going to get rewarded. So we do them. And then the reward doesn't seem to come. The blessing doesn't seem to come. It's not coming in our kind of time frame that we want. We become weary and tired. And when you become weary of something, what happens? You start to get depressed and discouraged. Lord, get me out of here. When's this going to finish? When's this going to happen? When am I going to see the fruit of what I'm persevering through? And that discouragement, if you allow it to take seed, can, can help you, make you give up. And you think, like, this is never going to happen. This is ridiculous. This is silly. I'm just going to give up. And you get tired. And then what happens is you start getting persecuted from outside other people saying, see, I told you it's never going to happen. I don't know what you're thinking of. You're just a dreamer. Give up. And people outside you will start to question it and you'll start hearing their questions and it will start reinforcing with your tiredness and your weariness. And you start questioning yourself. And your own heart and your own mind starts to question and go, did I, did I hear this right? Am I really doing what he wants me to do? This is just too hard. Let me give up. It's through that perseverance that the reward will come. You know, when God calls you to do something, there will be challenge, there will be difficulty, there will be struggle through it. 
I've never seen anybody where God has called them to do something and bang, it's done and everything and they all lived happily ever after. It doesn't work that way. Life doesn't work that way. When he calls you to do something, there's challenge. But you need that perseverance to keep on going. The reward comes at the end of the perseverance. The number of times that you want to give up, that you want to throw in the towel and say, this is too hard. I can't keep going. Give me something easier to do. Give me something else to do. Lord, I can't do this. And God will say, well, if that's what you want. But you lose the reward. We have a choice when we have to struggle. Just like Jesus in Gethsemane. You're going to say, not my will, but yours be done. My motivation is about pleasing you. Or are you going to say, you know what? This is too hard. Let me give up. So many times I've wrestled with this. So many times I've said, Lord, why can't you give the reward that you've promised now? Your timing is rubbish, God, because it's not my timing. And my timing is way better than your timing. That's what we think. Reality is the opposite of that, always. His timing is always perfect. And ours is never perfect. But keep on going. Keep on trekking. The rewards won't come easily or without cost. But they will come if you persevere. And one last thing. Do you know that you can build greater rewards? You can increase the rewards that God is going to give to you. Do you know that? Look in the Bible. Matthew 25, parable of the talents. You remember he says to one person, I'm going to give five, to another two, and another one. And the one that had five went and invested, made five more, and two made two more, and the one hid it in the ground. And what happened at the end when the master comes back? From the one that hid it in the ground, he took it away and he gave it to the one who had five. He says, you can have more. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is talking about the rewards that we can receive. So he says, you know what, I'm going to entrust you with these things. And if you do what I'm asking you to do, if you gain the reward, then I will entrust you with more and more and more. Luke 16 verse 10, Jesus said, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. If you persevere, if you keep going with what God has asked you to do, with what he has entrusted you to do, then he will continue to add to that and add to that and add to that so that your rewards will be greater and greater and greater. 
But if you are unfaithful in what he's asking you to do, perseverance goes out the window and you say, you know what, I can't be bothered with this. I'm going to stop this nonsense. Let me just go a different pathway. God will say, fine, but then your reward is going to be taken away and given to someone else. You're still saved by faith, as it says, but your reward is given, is taken from you and given away. The choice is your faithfulness. If you are faithful to God, you can build greater and greater rewards because he will entrust more and more to you, which will give more and more rewards. But if you're unfaithful, then those rewards will be taken away. You're rewarded for your actions. God will test the quality of what you do, not just the action themselves. He looks into your heart and your mind and he will test your motivation. Those rewards will cost you. To gain them, you have to give things up. You have to persevere. But those rewards will come. And you can build a greater reward, a greater level, if you are faithful in a few things, then he will give you more and more and more. I was watching this week Billy Graham's funeral. A little bit anyway, just some highlights. And I was thinking, and uh, one thing his son Franklin said, this got me thinking as I was thinking about rewards. I wonder what kind of reward Billy Graham will get when he goes to heaven. But then I was thinking, I wonder if Billy Graham's reward will be greater than the reward my father-in-law got when he went to heaven. We don't know. We don't know because it depends it's dependent on their response to whatever God asked them to do. Sometimes God raises up a Billy Graham and says, this is what I want you to do, and he goes and he does it. Sometimes God raises up a father-in-law and he says, this is what I want you to do, and he goes and does it. The reward is not how noticed it is, how big the world thinks it is. They said something like Billy Graham had spoken to, was it 260 million people in his life or something, they reckon. That is not the judgment. That is not the criteria for the reward. The reward that you receive is based on the faithfulness to what God has given you. If you are faithful to, the, to what he's asking you to be and to do, then great is your reward. If God had asked Billy Graham to do even more and he said, I can't do all of that, I'm just going to do this bit, then the reward will be less than it might have been. Do you see what I'm saying? So don't think in the world's eyes about the reward. The reward is given by God and it depends on what he's asking you to be and to do. Just be faithful 
in those things, then great is your reward. Because when you stand before him and he says, this is my son or this is my daughter, and he shows you your life and he shows you the motivation and you see the purity of your heart and the durability of your actions, and you see the motivation that's behind it and the, the desire that you had in your heart to want to honor God, he will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Now, let me give you the abundance of your reward. That is true for you and for me, for each one of us. I wonder, as I wrote or thought about this, I was wondering for myself, if I was to stand before the judgment seat of God today, I wonder what reward I would receive. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that we are saved by grace. And so nothing can take that away from us. No one, nothing can pluck us out of the palm of your hand, out of relationship with you. It is you who saves us. And that is eternal and that is secure. But Lord, we are rewarded by what we do. Whether we're peacemakers or merciful or pure in heart. Whether we hunger and thirst for righteousness and all those beatitudes that you gave. The seven after that first one of grace. Lord, that is how you judge us. And our rewards will be dependent on our response to what you have given for us to be and to do. So Lord, like the psalmist, we say, search me and know me. Examine my heart and my mind. Show me what you want me to be and show me what you want me to do. And Lord, make me faithful so that you may increase in me as I am faithful to you. And I thank you. You don't have to give us rewards. Eternity with you is reward enough. But Lord, out of your goodness, And out of your mercy, you want to give us even more. Thank you. We praise you. Speak into our hearts and lives. And Lord, if we need to change, if I'm not working in the way that I need to work for you, if I'm not doing the things that you want me to do, or I'm doing things that you don't want me to do because they hinder my relationship with you, Lord, change my heart. Change my mind. May I be more like you. For we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen.